Hi, everyone. Before we get started, just a quick content warning that this episode does discuss sexual assault quite a bit, as it does appear in this week's movie several times. As always with these episodes, proceed with caution, and it's totally okay if you skip this week. There's no place like home when you're home. Hello, and welcome to the Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture, and the first episode of Fuck This Movie Bingo. I'm one of your hosts, and a player, Susan Araslin. I'm the creator of the game, and your dungeon master, David Daw. <laughs> Uh, and this week, our movie is the, thankfully, final movie in the 1937 nominees, In Old Chicago, starring Tyrone Power as a rapist, and Alice Brady as the woman who owned the cow who started the Chicago fire, <laughs> and also his mom. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I don't even know where to begin is the thing with this, because, I mean, I guess this is why we've, like, made this bingo card, is that, like, there's so much wrong with this movie. I mean, I guess we just begin at the beginning with a nonsensical wagon train intro. Oh, oh, that's on my card. <laughs> so, yeah, Mrs. O'Leary, the owner of said cow, is traveling to Chicago from Ireland? <laughs> yeah. With her husband and three children. And we know that he's Irish, at least, because of terrible accent work. Also on the card. For some reason, he decides he's going to race a train in the covered wagon with his entire family in it, who luckily fall out while he is dragged behind the wagon and dies. Yeah. And, like, it's such a drawn-out, monologue like, Chicago's gonna be the city for you, boys. Here, I've written up the whole thing, your whole life. The next 100 years of American history. Here's how it's all gonna go. And then Mrs. O'Leary says, Mary, Mother of God, like, 37 times. <laughs> is this dramatic death that's unintentionally funny? Yes, I would say that it is. Okay, cool. Oh, got gotta mark my free space. <laughs> Which I probably won't even need, to be honest. Yeah, and he gives a big speech about how, like, their lives are gonna be different when they get to Chicago. They then drag out this, like, weird prologue with another scene where the boys, I guess, prank a woman? It's not clear if they intended to prank her. I don't I don't think they intended to. I think they were just surprised when they heard their mom shouting at them. So they get to Chicago, and the place is, like, a swamp mud field and is gross. And they've been living in the covered wagon for three weeks. And the kids are like, Mom, we got to find somewhere to live. And she's like, well, I got to get a job. And one of them, which I guess is the one that grows up to be Tyrone Power, says that he can work in a saloon or something. 
She's like, no, that's bad. Working in saloons is bad. And then immediately stops when she sees a sign in a window that says girls wanted. And I'm like, I don't think that this is what you think it's going to be, Mrs. O'Leary. Yeah, Mrs. O'Leary is such a weird character. And it's, I mean, like right off the bat, I was kind of irritated with the performance because this is the performance that beats out Andrea Leeds for uh, Best Supporting Actress. This is what won over stage door. That is wild. And it's bad. But also, like, the script does her no favors, because I don't really understand what Mrs. O'Leary's whole thing is, besides just sort of standing around and commenting on what men are doing. And washing clothes. She washes clothes. Right. This is eventually what she ends up doing as her job, because some women get stuck in the mud, and the boys, being enterprising are like, oh, we can help you out of the carriage and over the mud by putting their arms together and, like, ferrying one of the women to the sidewalk, such as it is. Uh, And then they're doing it with the older, bigger woman. So, of course, this isn't actually on the movie bingo, but, like, fat phobia jokes. Yeah, honestly, that might as well be free space. Yeah. And their mom calls them and is like, what are you doing? And so they get surprised and drop the older, bigger woman in the mud. She's mad and says, there's not a washer in Chicago who could get the mud out of this dress. And then Mrs. O'Leary is like, I will. And if I do, you're going to pay me what I tell you you're going to pay me. And then eventually, like, just keeps washing clothes for 20 years, as far as I can tell. While her children grow up. Right. There's a, like, time-passing montage that's supposed to be the bubbles from her soap popping, but is very clearly balloons that they blow up with the number of the year on it. Oh, right. And they show her washing stuff, and they've sped up the frame, which I realize, like, did not have this same connotation at the time. But to me, that is such a horror movie, like, possessed by a demon thing. That it was really freaky. (laughs) Yeah, this movie does that. A few times. Yeah, it speeds up the film stock a couple of times. Um, But now we're in the 19 or 1867. God, I wish we were in 1967 and this was a time travel movie. (laughs) And also over. (laughs) Yes, that would also be great. If it was just like, if it just skipped in 1967 and all those people were dead and never came (laughs) up again. But now we have Mrs. O'Leary and her three terrible sons, the bad lawyer, the rapist, and the other one. (laughs) I don't know, rapist in training? He does definitely corner the German serving girl in the barn and kiss her. Though I guess she is into it because, and we know this because she says, Gut, yeah? No, that's not the rapist in training. That's, that's, and then there's the other one. That's what I'm saying. He's not just the other okay. one. He's the rapist in training. Well, but, the, but. I mean, Dion is just a rapist. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. The third one, I didn't really get the sense that he was cornering her so much as that they like had this illicit love affair that I don't understand why it was illicit because I don't understand why this character exists. It seemed like they were keeping it a big secret to avoid telling the disapproving Mrs. O'Leary, who immediately approves of it. But we do have in this one of the things that are a bingo, which is comically blatant foreshadowing, because we are in the barn with Mrs. O'Leary's cow, who has kicked over the milk pail and then also kicks the youngest son into Gretchen so they can make out. Yeah. And who will later 
toward the end of the movie, kick over a lamp starting the great fire in Chicago. Because this movie also has the San Francisco problem of almost immediately going, the most important thing that will ever happen in Chicago is the disaster that we will not show until the last 15 minutes of the movie. Yeah. Anyway. But yeah, back to these characters I'm supposed to be able to tell apart. Mrs. O'Leary's large adult sons. Oh, oh, that would be indistinguishable white guys? Yes, that would be indistinguishable white guys. I can't believe I'm nowhere near a bingo yet. (laughs) Here's the thing. I think it's both indistinguishable white guys and we're rapidly approaching I hate all these people. (laughs) But we may still be 20 minutes out from that. Yeah, I say we're still 20 minutes out from I hate all of these people. (laughs) The goodest son, I have no idea about what age anybody, any of these kids are. The goodest son is a lawyer who's too good to take money for doing lawyer stuff. (laughs) The worst son wants to be a saloon owner, which is the worst thing in the world in this movie where this guy repeatedly rapes his eventual wife. Um... The fact that he's a saloon owner is what his mother cannot forgive. Um, And then the third son is also here. (laughs) Making out with Gretchen in the barn. Yes. So Dion, who is, I think, the middle child and is the saloon owner, is played by Tyrone Power and was essentially born too early to play the lacrosse player stereotype in any and all high school movies because he is visually incredibly beautiful to the point of absurdity and is a horrible person (laughs) and literally a rapist yes and god we're getting to it i wish we weren't but he has an incredibly punchable face and i do have to say the most satisfying scene in this movie is when he gets repeatedly punched in the face by his brother. Yeah. But he then goes off and sees Belle, who is, this is not on the bingo sheet, but uh, we have a lot of pining for the the good old days in the South when there were still slaves in this movie. This would have been shortly after, but she definitely sings a song about how great Virginia was under slavery. Yeah. And then there's a part where the other saloon owner who's going to become mayor, but then doesn't talks about how he used to track down runaway slaves and the movie kind of treats that as a humanizing detail about him which is very weird yeah the exact line that he has and this is much later but he says i was tracking down runaway slaves and almost starving to death and i screamed at the television i wish you had you motherfucker (laughs) same uh, but anyway, Dion sees Belle, or Southern Belle. Fuck, I just put that together. Oh, man, I did too. God, I hate this movie. And he immediately has to have her, which involves immediately doing a scheme to try to defraud charity. And then when that doesn't work, <laughs> assaulting and kidnapping her. In the back of a... I guess it's also a covered wagon, but it's essentially a horse-drawn cab. This, by the way, is treated as, and and literally, they say, making love to her. She says, why do you think you can make love to me like this? And I'm like, you mean assault you? Yeah. So sexual assault as romance, that's another one to tick off. Yep, 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 yep. 
that doesn't immediately work, so he does it like three more times, and then she falls in love with him for it. She falls in love with him for it, and then he continues to do it. Yeah, yeah, he does. Y'all are together. You you already wore her down. Can we can we stop with this abuse? And the movie treats it like it's something really sexy, and it is really fucking not. Yeah, he also, like, has this woman on the side that I'm totally unclear what is going on with that at all. There's, like, the senator's daughter that he's repeatedly dating for no reason, because it's not like he needs the influence of that senator or that senator ever likes him. It's... Anyway, the lawyer brother. The lawyer brother's uh, crusading progressive who somehow gets talked into running for mayor. Meanwhile, the piece-of-shit rapist son has started this saloon that's so successful, it's driving the other saloon owner in town out of business, and that guy decides he's gonna run for mayor so that we have a running-for-mayor plot, because nobody's plan makes any fucking sense at any point in this entire movie. Ooh, ooh, marking it off. Yep, the two of them have a... I guess mayoral race, though nobody seems to care about anything except for, like, who controls the, like, crooked get-out-the-vote operations, which does make sense, but also, like, it doesn't make any sense. The, the, what doesn't make sense about it is how characters react to it. The real historical fact that, like, a Chicago election in the 1860s probably didn't rely too much on who was the better campaigner. <laughs> Uh, yeah. But in practice within the film, how anyone acts about that, how any of that corruption takes place or works, when anyone chooses to be corrupt or not corrupt is all nonsense, Um, but does eventually result in the lawyer brother getting elected mayor with the help of the crooked brother, which skips over... Shit tons of the movie, but also nothing happens in any of that. It's all Calvin Ball. There's all these scenes that are just utterly meaningless of like, oh, he's going to do this thing or he's going to do that thing. And then in the end, all that really matters is Dion figures out a way to get all of Warren, the bad saloon owners, poll workers thrown in jail on the day of the election because he has the entire city in his pocket, at which point... Why didn't he just hire out these poll? Anyway, he rigs the whole election up for his brother. And then we get to this scene where, why did he do that? Because the brother has spent the entire movie going, I am going to crusade against corruption. Specifically, your corruption. Specifically, I know you're a corrupt piece of shit, and I am going to prosecute you. And the brother's like, ha ha, yes, of course, I don't care. And then the brother does actually follow through on that promise, and Dion seems so shocked by this, and is like, I got you where you are. And it's like, why? Well, and on top of that, Jack goes to Belle and says, like, I'm going to need your support in this trial. And Dion is like, oh, well, Belle, I love you. I want to marry you in the fourth assault in this movie. Which, sidebar, Belle, by the way, has a mammy stereotype of a maid. 
So that gets us another mark on the board. Right. Who runs out to get the police during the assault. The police come back and they're making out. And her maid says, oh, she done slipped again or something to that effect. Or she done backslid again. (sighs) And then it turns out that Dion has finally decided to make an honest woman, quote unquote, of Belle. Because then she can't testify against him. Because they're married. Which we established in an earlier scene with our terrible, not very funny comedic sidekick played by the guy who played the assistant director in A Star Is Born. Yes. Who's dialed it up from the 11 it was in A Star Is Born to about an 836. (laughs) Both comedy scene that makes me want to die and exhaustingly unfunny comedic sidekick. Because he was already kind of talking with a little bit of a thing in his voice in A Star Is Born. And in this one, it's like he's just totally gone insane. Yeah. Also, Jack is the one who marries Dion and Belle, who apparently, like, wasn't smart enough, despite being a lawyer, to understand that the woman he just asked a scene or two before to testify now can no longer be a witness in this corruption trial. And it's not even like this is a thing lawyers should know. It's that he specifically already lost a case earlier in the film from this exact thing. It's not like a lawyer did this and he was not privy to it and it's like weird lawyer arcana. (laughs) It's like he he fucking already lost a case this way and then just goes like well there's no downside to marrying my brother who's suddenly turned around on this whole idea of getting married and is in a real fucking rush about it i wonder why i think actually this gets us i hate all of these people yeah god yeah and then major character i keep forgetting exists at some point gretchen and what's his face get married and have a baby for whatever reason, has no bearing on the plot. Yeah, none whatsoever. Have we talked about, by the way, that like none of these people are based on anyone from history? The only things that are accurate about the O'Leary family historically from this film are there was a Mrs. O'Leary and one of her sons was a saloon owner. Another one of her sons was never mayor. <laughs> She did not, in fact, have three sons. She had a son and a daughter. Yep. The husband did not die in a tragic covered wagon accident on their way to the city, (laughs) but in fact lived a long life and lived to see the Chicago fire. I mean, the cow part is true-ish. It's at least true that people thought that for a long time. Whether or not that was actually the cause of the Great Chicago Fire seems to be a bit more historically in question, but like- Certainly, if you asked a historian in the 1930s, they would have been like, oh yeah, there was a cow, it knocked some shit over. That, like, happened. Right, right. Does this qualify as making up shit less interesting than history? I kind of think it does, not because, I guess less interesting is not necessarily how I would put it, but, like, as far as we know, none of her sons were rapists. As far as we know, like... It's just making up shit to do that thing of, like, this one great man represents the, like, grand history of America or whatever. And I guess it might technically get away with not being less interesting than history, only because history wasn't very interesting. Yeah, that that's fair. So I won't mark that down. After all of this shit happens, 
Mrs. O'Leary's cow kicks over a lamp, some straw in the barn catches, and the Chicago fire happens. And then everyone immediately blames the mayor, including the mayor's own brother, which seems like nonsense to me. I guess some people thinking it was him makes some sense because he kind of lectures about like how the patch, the corrupt poor slums of the town need to be destroyed. And I guess some people would be like, I guess he meant that super literally and set the town on fire. You know. He does talk about how he wants to tear down all the buildings because, literally because they're a fire trap. Right. But there's a difference between tearing down all the buildings and setting them on fire with people in them. Yeah. And like that to me was the scene with the comically terrible foreshadowing was when he was like, it's corrupt, it's full of gambling. And you know what the worst part of it all is? The thing everyone will say about it always throughout history, it's a fire trap. The whole thing could just go up like a tinderbox. And you're like, no one said that. Like, no one, this, like, this was not a thing. Okay. Yes. So the fire happens. Jack even thinks that his brother started the fire. Then he learns from Bob, who is his brother that we keep forgetting exists, how the fire really started, and he is gonna, like, run off to keep the other saloon owner and his gang from basically murdering Jack, the mayor brother. Jack gets shot by one of the gang members, and then the other saloon owner dies in a cattle stampede? This is our real, like, special effects showcase slash this is where all the money went set of sequences. They also blow up a whole fucking building. Yeah. Which is also based on an actual historical thing. They did dynamite parts of town to try and create a firebreak, which is honestly pretty rad. I wish we got more of that and less of the brothers putting aside their differences because you shouldn't put aside your differences with your brother. Dion is a terrible person who deserves to die, but doesn't. No, because this movie's sense of justice is tragic death and not killing a fucking rapist. And instead, Dion wanders out to the lake where he finds his wife, who his terrible hectoring mother who just burned down the whole town bullies into <laughs> reconciling with him yeah it's amazing to me that she yells at bell and is like how dare you be so cold toward your own husband when he's just suffered this terrible tragedy of losing his brother and it's like Mm, I don't know, because he sexually assaulted me four times and then manipulated me into marriage in order to get out of testifying for said brother. Also, I don't want to say this about like the actual historical Mrs. O'Leary, but in the film, certainly, also this all happened because of your carelessness. Your son would still be alive and the town would not have burned down if you, like, looked behind you for three seconds. Yeah, don't leave an unattended gas lamp behind a cow who is notorious for kicking shit over. In a barn full of hay, I'm just saying. Yeah. Then the two of them reconcile, and Mrs. O'Leary gives a, like, very blatantly ADR'd for the first two-thirds of it speech about the greatness of Chicago and how it will rise and no one man could kill it any more than Chicago could lick her dead son, which was very weird to me. Does this count as nonsense speech about American greatness? Oh, for sure. 
Bingo! Because she very specifically goes like, no one thing could lick Chicago any more than Chicago could lick Jack. And it's like, he's dead. You know he's dead, right? And you know what killed him was literally the city of Chicago, right? I have bingo, David. I would like to be acknowledged. Okay. Okay. I just, I thought you would have had bingo by now. That's the only reason I didn't. Nope. I thought you were just saying bingo to me about my, about my great insight. I mean, yeah, that too. But I'm saying I have bingo. Okay. Uh, If only because I feel like everything interesting in the third act doesn't apply because even this fire is not that interesting. I want to argue for everything interesting in the third act only because... I don't think we quite get away with only one good shot the whole movie, because there's actually two or three good shots in that last 10 minute stretch. Then I would have had Bingo already, but now I have double Bingo. Oh, okay. And I have one without the free space, so I feel like it extra counts. Yeah, I I have uh, three Bingos, because I have- Damn it! I got Covered Wagon intro. Yeah. Major character I keep forgetting exists. Mammy stereotype. The lead can't act. I I do not believe the guy who plays Dion is any good at fucking all. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I agree, but also his character is fucking terrible. So, like, what is there to do there? Yeah, I get it. It's like, be physically pretty while being an absolute rotten cord piece of garbage. I don't know. We were watching, the other night we were watching the first Mission Impossible movie because it was, like, free on Amazon. And, like, that movie still does this same, to a lesser degree, but definitely does the, like, assert physical dominance over the female lead as romance thing. And, like, there's a way to still have charisma to get why this character would seem likable to or attractive to anyone despite the fact they do this. Harrison Ford in Blade Runner also has this whole thing. Really, Harrison Ford in every movie in the 80s. Has this thing of like, this is still creepy and I still hate it, but Harrison Ford is an extremely charismatic man. And there's none of that to Dion. Just like, he just seems like a piece of shit and why does anyone put up with him? He just like, seems like he's going to inevitably betray you and hurt you at first opportunity. Yeah. I also want to say that there is definitely, and I'm not justifying ever using your size or physical dominance over somebody else, but he doesn't just, like, loom over people and assert that. He literally, like, restrains her multiple times and, like, throws her to the floor, presses his entire body against her up against a wall. There's no subtlety here. Like, it is actual full-on assaults. Yeah, there's none of the usual caveats of like, oh, this is a stressful situation, or like, the FBI's after him, or something. Just like, no, she was just talking and he wanted her to stop. Or he saw her sing on stage, and because the club owner threw him out of the club rather than letting him go backstage and talk to her, which was completely unknown to her, he literally kidnaps her off of the street. Again, I don't want to say that, like, those mitigating factors movies do actually mitigate the thing and make it okay. I want to say it's very weird to me this movie doesn't even feel the need to justify it in some narrative sense. The movie's just like, let's just keep having him do this. And there's no moments of him being nice to her. Yeah. Every time that they're together... He assaults her, she says no, 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 tries to throw him off of her, screams, and then by the end of it, they're making out. He never apologizes, not once. 
he never like takes her to dinner or like anything at all. And in fact, the the closest that the movie comes to having him do something she considers romantic as opposed to assault is while assaulting her, he says, I want to open a saloon and you will be the singer and we'll make tons of money. And she's like, oh, well, why didn't you say that it was about money? And then gets this like dreamy, far off post-orgasm look in her eyes. And I'm like, wow, okay, so not only have we repeatedly assaulted this woman, but we framed her as a gold digger as well. Okay, cool. Yeah. God, I hate this fucking movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I have bingo from fucking the lead can act and comedy scene that makes me want to die. So I got the top row across bingo. Then I got the down on the right side with comedy scene that makes me want to die. Nonsense speech about American greatness comically blatant foreshadowing, dramatic death that's unintentionally funny, and weirdly religious in the face of tragedy from that first scene where Mrs. O'Leary is giving the weird speech about, like, this is the kind of, like, adversity that God put before Mary, Mother of God. Oh, yeah, and then she does it again at the end as well. Actually, I think we should just put pictures of our bingo cards on the website with this episode. So if you want to see them, you can know that I lost and David won. That makes a lot of sense. I'm actually also going to argue for Impressed with a Boat. Because in the distance, while they're in the rowboat... Oh, yeah. ...in the lake in the middle of Chicago... There are, like, tall masted sea ships for some reason on the map painting, I guess, because that's what they had around. I am very impressed, by the way, that this movie managed to just skate out without doing playing the same song over and over again. Yeah, that really felt like that was definitely coming. I was really expecting to hear in old Chicago upwards of 18 times. It was the only way that this movie was better than... San San Francisco. Francisco. Yeah. Susan, here's the thing I just realized. This is going to be a real overstuffed episode because this is our end of 1937 episode. Yeah, well, so let's go ahead and rate this really quick. Yeah. One. (laughs) Uh, um, Do I want to go up to two? Do I want to... No, just don't title your movie In Old Something. That's what we've learned. It's apparently the kiss of death. So yeah, one. Yeah. Don't watch this movie. I'm not going any higher. Because there's, like, nothing that even justifies, like, that there's numerous instances of assault to, like, make this movie have anything resembling being good. Literally the only thing in the movie where I went, oh, that's nice, is in the first scene with Belle, she is wearing stockings that have 3D butterflies on them. They're, like, fishnet stockings with 3D butterflies. That is not enough to justify any point increase yeah i liked the scene where jack beat up dion i actually kind of thought the like under cranking like speeding up the footage thing worked interestingly there but it was clearly by accident because nothing else talented happened except for blowing up like they just like it whatever like i'm not giving it an extra point because like it almost accidentally invented sam raimi no Fuck this movie, don't watch it, it's garbage. I really regret paying for this movie. If I could take money out of the pockets of the people who made this film, I would do it. Yes. Yeah. No question. 1937, though, as a general thing. Yeah, so uh, so this year was, I, I think you really hit the nail on the head last week when you said that the lows were really, really low, even though there were not a ton of them. 
the good earth was absolutely atrocious. Yeah, this was garbage. This was terrible. The awful truth was also terrible. God, what was... What even was the awful truth? Uh, that was literally last week. Yeah, no, I've already blocked it out. It was essentially the divorced couple that then realized that they actually love each other. Susan, here's what ha- what's happened. I have blocked the entire film out except for that one shot of the cuckoo clock and them dancing on the cuckoo clock that will haunt my dreams. Well, that was the very end. Yeah, it was. I mean, the awful truth was irritating, but, you know, the good earth was reprehensibly racist and in old Chicago is reprehensibly misogynist and violent against women. So, like, it's pretty damn low. And the highs weren't that high. A Star is Born was good, but we noted that, like, there was a lot of shit about it that was kind of cheesy and that the chemistry of the cast didn't really hang together. Lost Horizon was ambitious, but suffered from some whitewashing and racism. Yep. Not to the level of, like, mammy stereotypes and singing about how great the South was under slavery or, you know, the whole fucking thing with the good earth and the Chinese makeup. 100 Men and a Girl is the 1937 equivalent of like, what if The Rock was a babysitter or something? (laughs) It was fine. It was a fine way to spend my time, but I have no idea why it got nominated for Best Picture. It's totally the 1937 version of a movie you watch on an airplane where they only screen one movie. Yeah. Like you don't have the whole entertainment system and you watch it because like, you're stuck on an airplane, but they also picked it because it's relatively inoffensive. Like, no one's going to get anxious watching that movie. But also, like, nothing exciting or interesting or terribly artistic happens. Yeah. I mean, for me, far and away the best movie in this year is Stage Door. Yeah, I would agree. I think it's the only movie I liked without any significant reservation. It's not a perfect film, but it doesn't have anything where i go like god i wish that didn't win because x right even a star is born i would kind of go like god i wish we could give it to somebody else definitely feel that way about captain's courageous definitely feel that way about lost horizon captain's courageous was better than i anticipated but i was expecting a two and i got like a five yeah i think it's stage door without question the life of emile zola though like Why? Why did they give it to that? I think they wanted to be making a brave stand against anti-Semitism without having to actually make a brave stand against anti-Semitism. Like, that's the only thing I can think is it's 1937 Green Book. I would like the credit. I don't want to do the work. Right. I'm going to confront violent and deadly racism without ever even mentioning it exists. Right. That's the only thing I can think. I mean, it looks out by not even being the worst Paul Mooney film of 1937 through just the sheer lows of this year. But, like, it's on the low end of a year without a whole lot of quality films in it. Yeah, I definitely agree. Look at how progressive the Academy is for nominating this totally toothless, quote-unquote, brave stance. I will say one good thing about this week, since we did have to watch this terrible movie, is that we're now one year out from Casablanca. Next week, we start our last year before they figure out how to make movies. Yeah. Starting in 1939, they know how to make movies. They got this shit sorted out. (laughs) Yeah. Not everything's going to be a hit, but every year has at least one thing where I'm like, 
oh shit, I can't wait to watch X, which has not been our experience so far. I actually have one movie in 1938 that I feel that way about, which is You Can't Take It With You, which did win for 1938. But everything else, I'm like, uh... I mean, here's the thing. I think that is true because like Frank Capra... But I don't think I thought of Frank Capra that way before we started this project. Yeah, that's true. Before we started this project, I would have been excited to rewatch Wizard of Oz or rewatch Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. I'd be excited to watch Rebecca for the first time. I'd be excited to watch Maltese Falcon, Citizen Kane. Like, we start fucking hitting the hits. It's not like I might have heard of one of the movies that was nominated in this year before. It's like, oh yeah, these are all movies that I feel like I should watch. 1939 is the point where the movies that are nominated are the movies I was thinking of when I came up with the idea for this and thought that it would be the best idea of all time as opposed to the worst idea of all time that they do on the podcast of that name. Which, by the way, if you don't listen to it, it's amazing and you totally should. <laughs> so yeah, we've got uh, we've got two and a half months before we hit 1939. Yay! Woo! And next week we start that with Jezebel, which right off the bat from the name, I know is going to be a problem. Yeah. Oh, God. And that's a great poster. Oh, God. With Betty Davis. So uh, so tune in next week for what is likely to be a big old mess. Yeah. And until then... Fuck this movie. And also the Academy of 1937 for picking the life of Emile Zola. Yeah, you guys really screwed it up like 70 years ago. 80 years ago. 80 years ago? Jesus. A little bit more, yeah. Cool, 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 cool. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye.